It's a, it's a privilege to be with you tonight as we continue our series on the Great Commission. Tonight, at, at a broad level, uh, we will be looking at how our actions of discipleship reveal what we believe about Christ. At Chick-fil-A, the founder S. Truett Cathy believed the following, to quote, we should be about more than just selling chicken. We should be a part of our customers' lives in the communities in which we serve, end quote. This was the heart behind everything Chick-fil-A, going beyond just selling chicken, and they wanted to be a part of their customers' lives. Many of us have experienced this firsthand through the excellent customer service we receive when we go there. Consistently, the belief at Chick-fil-A has led to the action of building relationships with customers so that you and I don't view it like McDonald's, where it's all about just getting your money. But in it, instead at Chick-fil-A, it's an entire experience designed to earn your trust and to build a lifelong relationship. The value of a lifelong customer is worth more than any short-term gain just trying to pull money out of your wallet. And as Chick-fil-A has this belief that they should be a part of their customers' lives in the communities in which they serve, this is clearly shown in the action they have taken as a company to build these lifelong relationships. And the same is true for us as Christians, where, we, where what we believe about Christ is revealed in our actions. We've had multiple men preach on the Great Commission this summer with the goal of us making disciples. Pastor Jordan spoke on the simplicity of the call, Nick's charge to us just to do it, Parker's critical distinction of being a producer or a consumer, and Ben's point two weeks ago that there is power in obedience. What I want to speak to you on tonight is simple. How you make disciples reveals your love for Christ. I'll say it again. How you make disciples reveals your love for Christ. And to do so, I want to define discipleship the impossibility of it, and how making disciples gives us purpose as Christians. For tonight, our, tech, our text is the final verse of the Great Commission. We will read the entire section as we have all summer, but know that our text is the final verse. So if you would, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Matthew 28, verse 16. This is God's Word, and it is eternally true. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The word of the Lord. Please remain standing as we pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would be with us. I pray that you would give my words your power and that your Holy Spirit would be with us tonight and would convict hearts. Use this sermon to spurn us as a congregation to go out and to make disciples. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Discipleship can take on many different forms. How I will disciple someone will look different than how my wife will disciple someone. 
For instance, I might spend time with someone more at a Panera, while Jules will typically have women over to the house to spend time with them. How discipleship looks will differ for each of us depending on our stage of life. For those of you with kids, you're probably going to be spending more time at home, the park, the zoo, or the YMCA. How it looks or the form of discipleship does not matter as much as actually getting down to doing the work of discipleship. What we are looking at for in discipleship is the substance of discipleship. Even though someone's discipleship might look different from my experience, does not make it wrong as long as the substance is true and good. If the foundation of the house is solid, you can build a three-story house, a a one-story ranch, a, a, a farmhouse, whatever. If the foundation of the house is solid, you can do whatever. As long as the substance of the foundation in Christ is set, forms don't matter as much. When I am speaking of discipleship tonight, I'm not speaking of the how, because that can take the form of changing someone's breaks, going out to dinner, helping them garden, cook, you name it, it can look like many different things. But what I am speaking of is the substance that drives the form. In Mark chapter eight, Christ says to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. This is the what, the substance of the message of Christ, calling others to deny themselves, take up the cross, and follow Christ. You can make disciples of your children, your friends, your coworkers, and that is by no means an exhaustive list. So as I speak of discipleship tonight, I'm not talking about the forms of discipleship, but I'm speaking about the substance of calling sinners to deny themselves, to take up the cross, and to follow Jesus. That is, at the heart, the work of discipleship. Question for you. Do you find the work of discipleship hard or intimidating? When was the last time you found yourself able to change someone's mind? I mean, where you really converted someone to something or a cause of sorts? As we all know, when we are set in our ways, it is nearly impossible to get out of our habits unless we are smacked in the face, typically multiple times. I remember at our first family camping trip, Jake Long and I were sitting around drinking coffee, and he was encouraging me to go on a trip with Jules before the pastor's college started up in the fall. As soon as he offered what was a great idea, immediately I went on the defensive. I brought up a couple points such as money, time off, just making up all these excuses, yada yada. But he stood his ground and he just flat out said, I was being dumb. He's like, you're being an idiot. That was the truth. Because the fact is, I was stubbornly set in my way, even though going on vacation is a good thing. We ended up going on a long weekend getaway down to Knoxville, and we had a great trip. Absolutely great trip. And this trip has inspired us to go on other trips, like the one where we were able to go to Colorado back in May. And so you should be taking trips with your family if you can. The amount of good it did for our marriage by helping us just to relax, to to process through life and have fun was worth every single penny, worth every minute of time. But keep in mind though, that none of this would have happened had Jake not convinced me to go on vacation. Let me say that again. Jake had to convince me to go on vacation because at the end of the day, I didn't believe at the time that it would be worth the money, the time, or the effort to do so 
and yet I was proved wrong in every way. The fact is, is that this is true for you too. Maybe not over vacations, but over something in your life. If it is hard to convince me over something like vacations, how hard is it to make the dead come to life in discipleship? Of seeing those around us deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow Christ. To become Christians, disciples of Christ. We can barely convince one another to switch sports teams. Try to, go ahead, try it with Randy. See what happens. Try it with Randy Myers, see if you can get him to follow Michigan. Let alone convince someone that they need Christ. Discipleship is impossible without God being with us. We need the power of God to make disciples. Without the power of God, we are completely helpless in making disciples. In college, I had this friend who started dating this non-Christian girl. So my buddy and I, we sat down with our friend and we tried to convince him what he was doing would lead him away from Christ. And so we pleaded with him and argued with him for about an hour and a half. And by the end of the conversation, he acknowledged, he said, oh, you guys are dead right. You know, you're right. If I date this girl, I'm going to turn away from Christ. I'm not going to follow Jesus. And he knew we were right. And he's like, all right, I'm going to go. I'm going to break up with this girl. And then at that point, you know, all will be well. So we leave. And by the end of that week, he was still dating that girl. We convinced him. So we thought. But we had no power. Discipleship is impossible without God being with us. Utterly impossible. And that is why God gives us this great promise. Because we need him. The text that we're studying says, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Right here is where the rubber meets the road. It's at this critical junction where you're absolutely powerless in changing someone's life. You come to the point to where you either give up in trying to convert that person or you turn into Christ. That is how making disciples reveals your love for Christ. Discipleship reveals your need for Christ because the work is impossible and out of your power to control. Because if some of you who have experienced this work and who have done this and have seen God do the impossible, you know it is as Jesus has said, with people it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Christ is with us through the Holy Spirit, and it is through his presence that we have any power to succeed in the work of making disciples for Christ, to build his kingdom. So how have you joined in this work of making disciples? Do you make disciples? For those of you tonight who have never made disciples, know that God has placed you somewhere very specific and has given you access to a, a specific group of people that only you know. You know, at Chick-fil-A, you don't get served without hearing the token phrase, my pleasure. Now, for the 50 people in this church who've worked at Chick-fil-A, you probably are rolling your eyes at me for saying that. It's, you know, but it is in the DNA of Chick-fil-A. You expect it of them to say it and are shocked when you don't hear it. The same should be true for us as Christians. Making disciples is not an optional work in being a Christian, but it reveals your heart 
It is the DNA of Christians. It is the fruit of being a Christian. Outward, tangible fruit of God being with you. If Christ is with you, there will be fruit. That is why Christ says in John, my Father is glorified by by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And if you refuse to engage in this work and profess to be a Christian and are not making disciples and are bearing no fruit, Christ says in the same passage, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, my Father takes away. If you've never made disciples, now is the time to start. Repent of your old ways. Obey Christ. Start making disciples. Start here and now in the relationships you have. You are wasting the relationships God has given you if you never take the risk to speak of Christ, ever. Completely wasting it. Do not wait till next week, not next month, not next year, but now. You are always going to try to convince yourself that you're not ready for this work. Look, okay, so one night my buddy gave me a call and said, hey, do you want to run a half marathon tomorrow? I know some of you have heard this story. I'm on the, un- I'm on the other end of the phone. I'm covered in popcorn. I'm, eat- I'm watching a movie right now, and I just cracked open my second bag as I'm watching this movie. I have not run a timed mile since my sophomore year of high school. I'm currently a junior in college, and I couldn't tell you the last time that I had run. And I said, sure, why not? This is literally the only way I'm ever going to run a half marathon. So my buddy finds me a pair of shoes. Was I ready for it? No, no way. Did my body give out at mile eight because I didn't drink any water? Oh, yeah. Did I walk the last five miles? Absolutely. Did I complete it in under three hours? Barely. 255. It stretched me, literally. I could not walk downstairs for three or so days. My roommates heard the agonized cries when I tried to do so. And I want you to know that I hate running. I absolutely hate it. I am not a runner. I don't have the technique. But God gave me the strength to do it even though I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. He provided a way and he got me through a half marathon on a whim. And so, as Jordan said at the start of the summer, discipleship is is oddly simple. You might have no idea what you are doing, but you know the goal, and that is to call them to Christ and know he will give you exactly what you need to do it. All this is to say, go for it. Make disciples now. Seize the opportunity. Time is deceitfully fleeting. It's going to be Christmas before you know it. You know Cheryl's already got all the gifts bought, you know? Like, time is deceitful. Words are cheap in this instance, and your actions are going to speak far louder than your words. And this work is impossible to do, but that is why we need Christ. Turn to Christ in his power now and start making disciples if you haven't. Now, why do the work of discipleship? Discipleship gives us purpose here and now because the work we are committing ourselves to as Christians is eternal. It is the great work we are privileged to do in this life. There is no greater call than making disciples. 
The point of our lives is not finishing a degree, crafting new recipes in the kitchen, finishing a remodel on our house, or getting a promotion. No. Our purpose in life is to make disciples of people who have eternal souls. God allows us to deal with this eternity, to interact with it. And without discipleship, what else would you commit your life to? Your 401k? You know, retirement? Without discipleship, what else, is com- what else is worth committing your life to? Wherever you are in life, whatever position, whether you're caring for your parents, you're working a dead-end job, you're being a mother of children, or you have a career, wherever, the call to all is to make disciples. That is our purpose, it is the end, it is the goal, and it fuels our life as Christians. There is nothing like making disciples. It's as Cale said earlier. Cale used the language when he was praying. He said, you get to sit in the front row as you see God change lives. It's amazing. You know you're unworthy in the work, and yet, he uses you. And in one sense, it's addicting to make disciples because you, you get to be firsthand to see how God changes someone's life. All you do sometimes is you just throw words at a wall, and you just hope something sticks. You, you spend countless hours with someone and you just, you haven't seen anything change. Then all of a sudden, you see them change. It is one of the most thrilling things we get to do as Christians. Because once you see it, you want to see it again and again and again. And that is why Christians can be joyful in the midst of a sad world. Because even when your position seems hopeless in the eyes of the world, we have a purpose. So, make disciples in your home. When the world says being a mother is dumb, make disciples of your children. It's eternal. It's a great work. Make disciples at your dead-end job, even if you make no money. Make them in your classroom, even if it's worth being ostracized by your friends. Make them of your grandchildren. Make disciples where you are at. This church is what it is because men and women for 20 years have trusted God and made disciples of you and me. They have said the hard things, the things that cut to the core, while also encouraging one another. Why have we done this as a church? It's our DNA. As Christ the Word, what are the three things? We reach, we raise, and we teach. It's the Great Commission. It's making disciples. And we have the great privilege of joining in this work together as a body. Now, I have one caution as you make disciples. Do not make disciples to yourself. Earlier, I mentioned that we make disciples even in our own families. Parents, be mindful. Do not make your children disciples of yourself. You have to be John the Baptist in one sense, where you're always pointing them to Christ and that there is more in life than you. Call your children to obey God's commands and live a life that, you, that shows that you are trying to do the same because they, they will sniff you out if you don't. Make sure your children know that God's word trumps what you say and do. You can't save your children in your own power, nor can you save those who you disciple. Only God can. Trust that God will use his church in the process of raising your children where men and women who love your children, who love them and want to disciple them, (laughs) don't get in the way of that work. Encourage it. 
Don't be, don't be precious of your children and rob them of this opportunity to be, to be discipled because as your kids are discipled and repent of their sins, it forces you to engage with that sin in yourself. Now, this can be done with children, but also as we disciple people. We are not trying to win people to our own standards in life, but to God's. As you embark on the work of discipleship, you will suffer. I remember as I have been making disciples over the past few years, I have multiple times felt dumb, stupid, and alone, a fool in the eyes of the world. And so when things get hard and you feel alone in the process of making disciples, remember that Christ said he will be with you because he knew you feel alone. He did. Christ was alone because he was abandoned by many along the way. Even the disciples turned away from him when he was alone. More than that, he was handed over by one of his own disciples whom he had spent years with. On the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Christ was abandoned by all and knows what it means to be alone. And that is why he gives us this promise to be with us so that you and I never have to be alone in this work. That is why he gives us this promise to be with us and calls us to a life of prayer. It is, the, it is what his life modeled and he wants you to do the same. In those moments of doubt, when you're wavering, when you feel like you failed God in discipleship because you weren't good enough, you didn't spend enough time with someone, you didn't say the right thing, and you actually start to believe the lie that you are an exception to the rule of God's faithfulness, remember this great promise. It's for you right now in those moments where you feel like everything is against you when you're down on the ground and you want to give up, you reach up and you say, God, help me, because I need your help. And that's what we have to do in discipleship all the time. Because you are not alone. And even though we would have turned our backs on Christ and we turn our backs on him all the time, he is still with us. So cry out to God in prayer. Every time the apostles are in jail, you see them, they're always praying. Jesus, he's always going out into the wilderness to pray. Remember that there is a purpose to suffering. It is to refine you and draw you even more closely to Christ in prayer. I read John 14, 12 through 14 this week, and it shook me in relation to the passage that we're studying. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, the one who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I am going to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. This is one of the greatest things said in the Bible. That Christ, the Son of God, who is with us and tells us that he expects us, by his power to do greater things than even he did. Do you believe that you're going to do greater works than Christ? Because that's what Jesus says his disciples are going to do, that they're going to do greater things than even he did because he has gone to the Father and you can pray directly to the Father who will give you whatever you ask in his name.
This is what the Bible says. And so today, right now, and by him being with us, we have the direct access to the Father through prayer. And so pray before, pray during, pray after your discipling. When you're sitting there talking to somebody and you say, I have no idea what to say, you pray. It's one of the most helpful things when you're trying to ask somebody a question and you don't even know where to start. You say, Lord, help me, I have no idea. And he gives you a question and it opens up the door. And you sit there and you ask, you say, Lord, give me an opportunity to talk about Christ. And you go for it. When you feel like an idiot for trying to share Christ, pray. <laughs> pray without ceasing. Ask in the name of Christ to make disciples today. He expects great things from you. In the end, if what we believe shapes our actions, then I hope that you believe that Christ is with you here and now. And that you will go forth and conquer. In Romans it says, but in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Love those around you. Disciple them. It is one of the greatest acts of love to disciple, to invest years into cultivating someone to fall in love with Christ and to lead them to make their own disciples. By doing so, you will see the dead come to life and you will have a front row seat to it because Jesus Christ who sits at the right hand of the Almighty God in heaven, is with you. And he is calling you to make disciples and is going to give you the power to do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would give us your Holy Spirit to go forth and to make disciples. Father, if you do not go with us, we will achieve nothing. We ask that you would be with us and that we would abide in you. And Father, that you would give us your Spirit to do so. Help us to make disciples for your kingdom, for your name, and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.